Welcome to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm Nabil Biagio in Washington, working on this program via remote. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan this Thursday, August 18, 2022. Human Rights Watch says South Sudan's leaders should use the extended transitional period to address real issues in the country. We've called on the South Sudanese government to address the chronic insecurity across the country. And the United Nations says more than 100 people were killed in tribal clashes in South Sudan in the month of July alone. We have had increased incidents in South Sudan, increased incidents of attacks on humanitarians in greater people area. We did have recently theft, we had robbery, we had armed attacks, armed robbery. We will have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. Human Rights Watch is calling on South Sudanese leaders to use the country's extended transitional period to address chronic insecurity, rights abuses, and the worsening humanitarian situation. In a statement released Thursday, the rights group also called on regional and international partners to exert pressure and leverage on South Sudan's leaders to ensure that institutional reforms are completed, rule of law is restored, and that there is significant progress in protecting human rights. For VOA News, Simon Odu reports from Juba. Human Rights Watch says since the signing of the revitalized peace agreement four years ago, South Sudan has been characterized by repression, violence against civilians, and attacks that have undermined efforts to complete the transition. Nyagawa Tutpur is a South Sudanese researcher at Human Rights Watch. Nyagawa says the extension of the mandate of the transitional government needs to be accompanied by a dramatic shift in the attitude of South Sudan's leaders and concrete steps toward improving the country's human rights situation. We've called on the South Sudanese government to address the chronic insecurity across the country, um, as well as, which is often this insecurity that is often accompanied by abuses of human rights, including killings, disappearances, torture, rapes. Uh, We've called on them to address the humanitarian crisis in the country. Uh, um, and to also ensure rule of law is in place. The rights group says the extension of the transitional period takes place against a backdrop of widespread insecurity and a climate of repression. It says the country faces localized and intercommunal conflicts in some parts of the country, floods, chronic underdevelopment, and the impact of COVID-19. South Sudan residents also face a dire humanitarian situation with 60% facing food insecurity. The largest-scale conflict between signatories to the peace deal and rebel forces outside the agreement has reduced since 2018. But the rights group says civilians have continued to experience conflict-related abuses in parts of Central Equatoria, Unity, and Upper Nile states. It says South Sudan's underinvestment in the criminal justice system and general impunity by public and security officials have contributed to a decline of the rule of law. The report adds that Human Rights Watch has documented patterns of summary executions by government and military officials, often in response to suspected crime. 
We also believe that this new extension should not be about extending the suffering of South Sudanese uh, and betraying the hopes for South Sudanese to live in a democracy where they can be able to choose their own leaders and to exercise their freedom. The report cites a recent incident in which South Sudanese government soldiers unlawfully executed three civilians, including a child in Kajokeji County of Central Equatoria State. It also cites another incident in which government forces also executed three rebel officers by firing squad and burnt another alive in Mayam County of Unity State. It further says between April and May security forces executed by firing squad at least eight suspected criminals, including two children, as part of anti-crime campaign in Warab State. Human Rights Watch also says since 2013, the National Security Service has abducted, tortured, and forcibly disappeared hundreds of people on the basis of their ethnic affiliations or reprisals for their opinions with the aim of crushing criticism of those in power. It says it has also harassed journalists. It was not immediately possible to get a comment for the story from South Sudan government spokesperson Michael McQuay. South Sudan's military spokesperson, Major General Lulurai Kwong, says the army has yet to consult over the statement issued by Human Rights Watch before commenting. Meanwhile, on his part, John Kumuri, the spokesperson of the National Security Service, denied all of the allegations documented by Human Rights Watch, describing them as baseless and inaccurate. The National Security Service does not operate beyond its laws and the national constitution. Therefore, the accusation negatively speech upon the National Security Service by the Human Rights Watch are unsubstantiated and lack credibility at all viewpoints and that are believed to serve as avenues of generating funds from international dollars to further aid their individuals and personal goals. Komori insists the National Security Service operates within the parameters of the law. It is principally worth to mention that the National Security operates within its mandate and protects the basic liberties, which include human rights and fundamental freedom as enriched under Section 6 of the National Security Act 2014 and other relevant international legal instruments which South Sudanese is party to. My brother is speaking on the fact the national security is among the distant law enforcement agencies in the country and indeed in the region and actively continue to undertake significant improvement in terms of one, the training of each personnel on human rights laws and fundamental freedom. Two, setting up of the public affairs department to handle civil complaints against the service and its members. Three, relying on the legal affairs directorate to safeguard human rights and the rule of law and remaining accountable to the civil authority. Komori says the National Security Service is continuing to make necessary reforms within its system. Human Rights Watch, however, says the state security organs continue to unlawfully detain some people. They mention Quail Aguer Quail, a politician, and Abraham Chol Maketh, a clergyman, both held since late 2021 on several dubious criminal charges related to the exercise of freedom of expression. Nyagoa says Human Rights Watch has called on the state authorities to take the two men before a court or unconditionally release them. For VOA News, I'm working Simon Wudu in Juba.
some South Sudanese in the capital, Juba, say they expect to see the government implement its new roadmap for ending the transitional period in a way that includes all stakeholders, including holdout rebel groups. Some say they want to see a people-driven constitution drafted and made law as soon as possible. For VOA News, Viola Elias, Files from Juba. South Sudanese and political leader Polino Lukudu says South Sudanese have many expectations for a peaceful and democratic end of the transitional period. Lukudu says South Sudanese wants to see full implementation of the agreement during the extended transitional period. In addition, Lukudu says South Sudanese wants to see all signatory parties and holdout groups included in implementing the agreement so they can participate in the election at the end of the transitional period. What is very important is to ensure that we have uh, an inclusive uh, elections to take place whereby we expect the non-signatories to be part and partial of the coming elections. Two, we expect the unification of the necessary unified forces so that we will have an, one national army instead of each political grouping having their own army. Lukudu says leaders should work towards healing the wound created by the war and reconciling the South Sudanese people. We expect the people-driven constitution to be to be drafted and signed into law, and we expect uh, that the South Sudanese will work towards healing and reconciliation, so that at least the atrocities that had happened. Uh, has created a division among the communities of the country. So when there is healing and reconciliation, then we will go for the peaceful, free, fair, democratic elections. The pre-transitional period activities could not be implemented according to the agreed schedule, so the parties extended the transition to 2025. Joseph Modesto, the head of South Sudan's Communist Party, says he expects if the parties cannot implement the agreement, the schedules for the transition will fall behind again. Modesto says South Sudanese are worried since the unity government has made it clear that the agreement is difficult to implement. He thinks some of the leaders would try to avoid implementing some of the key provisions, such as formation of the hybrid courts and accountability. What I will expect to take place is that still the critical uh, articles will still not be implemented. If they are going to be implemented, they will be off the mark. They will not be implemented in spirit because some critical articles are punitive. The question of the hybrid court, the question of accountability, all these things are actually problems. And so those who were fighting over power, they will will be involved to answer what happened. And to answer the question, some of them may be found guilty. So it it seems that they, they may not agree to implement some of those articles. Modesto questioned that four years have gone by and the unity government has done very little towards implementing the agreement. Earlier this month, the reconstituted government of national unity agreed on the roadmap for a peaceful and democratic end of the transitional period. Originally, the agreement was to end after 44 months by next February. 
that included eight months of a pre-transitional period and 36 months of a transitional period. The new roadmap for implementation extends the transitional period 24 months until 2025. For VOA News, I am Viola Elias in Juba. A new report by the United Nations Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, or UNOCHA, says at least 100 people were killed in tribal clashes involving armed youth from Eastern Equatorial State and Pibor Administrative Area in July alone. The humanitarian report released on Tuesday says 80 people were killed in Kapoita North and 15 in Gumbrook counties, respectively. Deng Deng has the details for VOA from Bor. The UN's humanitarian coordinator in South Sudan, Sarah Beisalo Nyanti, says the violence was likely triggered by armed cattle raiding and ethnic hostilities between neighboring areas. She says it is a major concern and is hampering the delivery of humanitarian services to the vulnerable population. We have had increased incidents in South Sudan, increased incidents of attacks on humanitarians in Greater People Area. We did have recently theft, we had robbery, we had armed attacks, armed robbery, and this is unacceptable. When people are working to save lives, their lives should not be at risk. When people are working to feed, working to give shelter, and working to give basic human necessities for the most vulnerable, they shouldn't be attacked. Together, we should all be fighting poverty. We shouldn't be fighting humanitarian workers. Last month, officials in Eastern Equatorial State said at least dozens were killed when armed cattle raiders attacked Kapoita North County. Ocha says more than 17,500 people were also displaced in Eastern Equatoria, as well as some 1,700 people in the Greater Pibor Administrative Area due to the violence. Nyanti says food insecurity, intercommunal violence, conflict and disease outbreaks persist and that the situation continues to worsen for the most vulnerable. South Sudan has become the worst place to be a humanitarian worker because of attacks on humanitarians, because of access impediments and because of operational constraints that are placed in relation to the work that humanitarians do. As you know, we lost humanitarian worker in Ikotos and it was devastating because now that makes it five humanitarian workers killed in 2022. We still have five more months to go in the year and we hope that there will be no more deaths in 2022 of anyone who's working to save lives in South Sudan. Nyanti urges the South Sudanese authorities and continues to do more in order to reduce the level of violence in the country. The government is primarily responsible for our safety and security but communities also have a responsibility. Communities should take responsibility for what happens at the community level and where there are armed young people, where there are factions and groups at the subnational level carrying out subnational violence and attacks. Communities should resist it. Communities should hold um, these young people accountable. They should hold community leaders accountable. They should hold state leaders accountable. All of us have to work together, including those who we are serving, to make sure that we can have safe humanitarian delivery in South Sudan. Ocha says in July, armed cattle keepers attacked villages in Ye County, Central Equatoria, and looted property, including livestock. It says they renewed fighting between armed factions in Kundru, Ye County displaced hundreds of people to neighboring villages and others across the Democratic Republic of Congo. For VOA News, I am Deng Gaiding in Juba.
You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Coming up, we look at what South Sudanese have to say as they mark the 67th anniversary of the Torrid Mutiny. Stay tuned for that report, which is coming up right after this break. Then Moses, someone who was dedicated by God to bring the Ten Commandments. My name is Nafisa, and the meaning is calmness. Yes, I come to realize a name follows somebody. Like me, I find out that in most situations, even when somebody tries to upset me, I try as much as I can to be calm in most situations. I don't really show my anger. My name is Ibrahim. Okay, my son name is Chilunda, meaning a leader. My name is Araba, and in Ghana, it's part of a traditional naming custom, if you may call it. Like, depending on what day you're born, you're assigned a certain name. And so because I was born on Tuesday, my name is Araba. What do you think? A daily discussion of important questions from VOA. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on The Voice of America. Today marks the 67th anniversary of the start of South Sudan's struggle for liberation, which began in Torid in eastern Equatoria State. On the 18th of August in 1995, southern Sudanese forces in the Sudanese army mutinied against the largely northern-dominated army, which marked the beginning of the fight. Some South Sudanese in Juba are urging the government to recognize the efforts of heroes who shed their blood for the foundation of South Sudan as a country. For the News, Elias reports from Juba. South Sudanese citizen David Juma says the date 67 years ago is one of the most important days in South Sudan's history, noting that back then Southern Sudanese were more united as they struggled to achieve independence. The Torit Mutuni is said to be the beginning of the first civil war in Sudan and was the first Southern Sudanese rebellion in the Sudan. Juma says the Sudan People Liberation Movement, or SPLM, which was founded later in 1983, contributed much to the liberation of South Sudan. But he says the Anyanya rebel movement, which shot the first bullet against the Khartoum government in 1955, helped raise the concerns of South Sudanese. The SPLM did the fight, they fought for it, but the truth of the matter is that the first bullet was not shot by the SPLM. This is what they should be putting in their mind. So the SPLM came and it started where the Anyanya veteran is stopped. So I'm trying to say veteran, that Veteran Day is more important and it is historic. The Anyanya One Rebellion, which was led by Joseph Lagu, lasted from 1955 until 1972 between the northern part of Sudan and the southern Sudan region that demanded representation and more regional autonomy. Juma says it is shameful that nobody cares to celebrate such an important day today which led to the freedom of South Sudan from the Khartoum regime. But they don't care. The history has been distorted and then nobody wants to remember any, 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 any sacrifices made by others apart from what they do. So it is, it is actually a moral blunder not to celebrate this day. This is what I can say because it is one of the most important days. It is like SPLA Day. It is like uh, Independence Day. And because without 
those people who started to fight for our rights, where would Elsewhere Elsewhere start? They came and started it where the, the Anyanya veterans stopped. So they, they, it, is, it is the day it was numbering. The rebellion started just before the 1956 independence of Sudan. The predominant Arab-led government of Khartoum showed little commitment to granting the South a federal system. This was observed as a deliberate exclusion of Southern leaders in the political, economic and governance planning of an independent Sudan. It is reported that the civil service and administration were increasingly placed in northern Sudanese hands. Garang Akol, another South Sudanese citizen, says the Torit Mutuni marks the southern Sudanese journey to end injustice and slavery by the north. The struggle for liberty, justice and freedom is within our own hands. We must always endeavor to, to struggle to ensure that justice is achieved and prosperity is also gotten in order for our country to move forward. This is the essence of the Rit Mutiny. On August 18, 1955, a number of Southern Sudanese leaders were arranged for trial after being accused of inciting the population against the government. The Southern Sudanese alleged they had received a telegram indicating that Northern Sudanese administrators had been instructed to mistreat Southerners. Following that allegation, a number of soldiers in virus government units were also picked out for arrest. But rather than surrender, a unit known as Sudan Defense Force Equatorial Group, composed mainly of Southerners, disappeared into the bushes and hid with their weapons. In the days to follow, more Southerners mutin in Juba, Yei, and Maridi. This officially marked the beginning of the first war in southern Sudan in August 1956. The struggle was made up of former Southern Army officers, warrant officers, civilians, and a small number of non-commissioned officers. It is said that at first fighting was uncoordinated and that the mutiny was spearheaded by Father Santorino Ohure, General Emilio Tafureng, and Ali Batala. It is estimated that between 5,000 to 10,000 personnel escaped to the bush and launched attacks on the Sudanese government. In 2019, President Salva Kiir declared August 18 every year as Veteran Day. However, today, no major event is taking place. For VOA News, I am Viola Elias in Juba. Kenya's president-elect William Ruto has called for unity to move the country forward despite his main rival's rejection of the recent election outcome. Ruto, who is also the deputy president, has challenged elected leaders to work for the people. Mohamed Youssef reports for VOA from Nairobi. Speaking to Kenya Kwanzaa Alliance of 12 political parties, William Ruto said he was going to be the president of all Kenyans. I want to say from the onset, there will be no room for exclusion of any part of the Republic of Kenya. We are going to govern in a manner that makes sure that no part of Kenya is left behind. No sector of Kenya is left behind. No community of Kenya is left behind. We're going to move together as a nation because the people of Kenya are already telling us that we need to change the politics of our nation and eliminate ethnicity. Ruto spoke a day after his main competitor, Raila Odinga, rejected Ruto's win, calling it null and void. Odinga said he would challenge the outcome through legal and constitutional means. 
Ruto, the deputy president, received just over 50% of the vote in last week's presidential election. Odinga won just under 49%. Ruto said he will defend his win. If there will be court processes, we will uh, engage in those and make sure that we, because we are Democrats and we believe in the rule of law. The results also split the country's electoral commission after some members complained of a lack of transparency in the tallying process. The dispute has raised fears Kenya may see violence of the kind that has happened after other elections. Odinga camp has until Sunday to submit its case to the Kenyan Supreme Court to determine whether the just-concluded election was free, fair and credible. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. The Director General of the World Health Organization, Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, said Wednesday that Ethiopia's conflict-ridden province of Tigray is the worst humanitarian and man-made disaster on earth. Lisa Schlein has the details for VOA from Geneva. The WHO chief says more than 6 million people in Tigray have been under siege by Ethiopia and Eritrea for nearly two years. He says they have been sealed off from the outside world with no electricity, no banking services and only limited fuel supplies. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus says a trickle of food aid and medicine has been reaching the beleaguered northern province since a truce between the Ethiopian government and Tigray rebel forces was declared in late March. He says the population is still facing multiple outbreaks of diseases, including malaria, anthrax and cholera. Nowhere in the world you would see this level of cruelty where it's a government punishes 6 million of its people for more than 21 months by denying them basic services. The 57-year-old Tedros is not a neutral observer of the Tigray conflict. He is a native of the region, served as a Tigray regional health official in the early 2000s, and he later spent more than a decade in the Ethiopian government, first as Minister of Health, then as Minister of Foreign Affairs. Tedros notes peace talks for the Tigray conflict are ongoing. However, he says they are leading nowhere because powerful countries in the developed world are not using their influence to make this happen. He says all eyes are focused on the tragedy unfolding in Ukraine to the detriment of the tragedy playing out in Tigray. The humanitarian crisis in Tigray is more than Ukraine. Without any exaggeration. And I said it many months ago. Maybe the reason is the color of the skin of the people in Tigray. The only thing we're asking is, can the world come back to its senses and uphold humanity? WHO Chief Tedros says he's appealing to the Ethiopian government to resolve the conflict in Tigray peacefully. He says the government has the power to do this, adding the ball is in the government's hands. Tedros says he also is appealing to the Russian government to end the war in Ukraine and choose peace. He says both the Ethiopian and Russian governments can make peace happen if they choose to do so. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. South Sudan in focus is now 
on WhatsApp. Send us a message on plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. Tell us what's happening in your area or give us your feedback on the stories you hear on South Sudan in focus. We look forward to hearing from you on WhatsApp. That number again, plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. And that's all we have for you this Thursday. Thanks for allowing us into your homes, cars, and on your phones. Join us again tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. She looking to man, I feel better. I wanna.